Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we get to look at the gospel lesson specifically for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. And this is the continuation of the sending narrative, the sending of the disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus, out into the immediate area. And beginning with uh, verse 5 of chapter 10 of St. Matthew, we have Jesus saying, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no towns of the Samaritans. And I think this is an amazing statement to begin with. Because, again, we hear Jesus fulfilling that he's coming to his own. He's going to Israel. He's going to the Jews, the Hebrews. He's going to the people of God. And he's bringing the promise, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Not only this, but you have the disciples who have witnessed the miracles that Jesus has done. He has raised the dead. He has given sight to the blind. He has given hearing to the deaf. He has given speech to the mute, so on and so forth. These miraculous events. And on top of that, they have heard the preaching of Jesus. And this is the word being proclaimed through the very word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Now, the sending of the disciples is the continuation or the extension of what Jesus has done. And now what Jesus has done is now given to the disciples. They are to go out to the other Jews, to Israel, all of Israel, and heal them. Heal their illnesses, heal their diseases, heal the blindness, the deaf, the, so on and so forth. Cast out demons. And they do this with the authority given to them by God, Jesus Christ. And what I love about this is this continues today in the church. The church is to continue to bring the healing of Christ. And this is holy absolution. This is forgiveness of sins. This is the promise of Jesus coming to us through the preached word, through his sacraments, to heal us, to make us right, to restore us. Uh, the Lord's Supper is the heavenly medicine that gives us comfort of knowing that the very flesh and blood of Christ has been given for you and to you so that you would know that you have the peace that passes all human understanding given to you in Christ, in his body, in his blood. The disciples, in essence, are doing the same thing. They are taking the very word that they have heard from Jesus, and they are going out into the world to the 
fellow Jews to tell them of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They get to say, remember when the prophet Isaiah said that the virgin would conceive and give birth. That has been fulfilled. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the disciples have been given marching orders and have been given power and authority over sickness, over death itself, and over demons. And this is, again, to extend, to work, to do what the church is to do. And that is to proclaim the gospel, to heal the sick, to uh, do what God has laid before us. So why don't we have healing in the church? Why don't we at Holy Cross in the middle of the service say, bring out your sick and then have the pastor heal them? Well, God absolutely heals according to how he sees fit. Is this through medication? Is this through doctor? Is this through uh, miraculous things? It always ends up, how does God choose to act? And with that, the church is given the job, the duty to preach, to proclaim, to teach the very word of God. And that word is Christ crucified. Christ comes into our time, our space, our flesh to live the perfect life, to satisfy the demands of the law, to satisfy the commands of God, and then he makes the ultimate sacrifice. His very body and blood is spilt, broken for us. And this is the payment that is issued to open the doors of heaven to the likes of you and me. And this is what we get to hold on to. And this is what our faith clings to, that heaven has been opened, heaven has been given. And again, this is the extension this is the continuation of what Jesus established when he was preaching, teaching his earthly ministry. But he goes on as he uh, talks to the disciples, uh, and he sets up the life of the church. And, and we need to take these things serious. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you— will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who in endures to the end will be saved. This is verses 21 and 22. And especially verse 22, I think we need to hear this. And there's another part coming that we really need to take heed of. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. There's a thing called prosperity gospel or prosperity theology, and you hear this uh, among the TV evangelists. If you believe, God will bless you. If you just get out of the way, God will, bl will bless you with wealth, with uh, monetary, material things. And nowhere in Scripture do we hear this promise, but we do hear that you will be hated because of who you are. Now, who are you? You are a Christian, which means a follower of Christ. And a follower of Christ means that you are marked in your baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, guess what? 
that is a target painted upon your back, and it's a target for Satan. He now sees you as an enemy, and he must destroy you. And be clear about this. It's not that he wants you to worship him. It's not that he wants you to follow him. He just wants you not to focus, believe, and trust in what God has given and continues to deliver. Think about it just for a moment. How often when you're alone and you start reliving the events of uh, the day or the week or the years past— and you immediately think of something stupid you said or something that you wish you didn't do. And you start feeling guilty for that or getting angry. Why did I do that? And beating yourself up. And how quickly do you, and I do this, start thinking, because I feel this way, I still feel guilty. I still have anxiety. I still have a uh, butterflies in my stomach because of this. Am I really forgiven? Did God take this sin away from me? What must I do to be saved? How can I get over this? What, what do I need? And when we turn in on ourselves, and this is what the prosperity gospel points to. It always points to what are you doing for God? Are you earning his gifts? Are you good enough to receive what he is promising? And we see that, no, we will never be good enough. No, we will never earn salvation. We will never earn God's love. But that's what is pushed here. And we see in this gospel lesson, especially this verse 22, that Jesus says that for my name's sake, you will be different than the world. The world will tell you one thing, but I tell you, you are alive in me and you have eternal life, not through your works, not through what you think is good, right, and salutary, but because of what I have done and what I have laid upon you. You are righteous because I said you are righteous. You are forgiven because I said you are forgiven. You are loved because I love you. And this is completely contrary to what the world says, to what your old sinful Adam says. We like the whole idea of pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. And especially here in America, we're all about the self. And this doesn't necessarily mean in a selfish way. We're just very and fiercely independent. If you want something done right, you will do it yourself. We're all guilty of this regardless of where we live. But this is exactly what Jesus is addressing that we will want to fit into the world. We will want to just blend in who wants to stand out. But because you are baptized, because you are claimed from sin, death, and hell, you are different than the rest of the world, the rest of the people. And the idea here is we need to bear this cross you will be hated because you stand in the love and peace of God. The world doesn't understand this, nor can it give it. And so we need to remember this. And so when the world hates us, we shouldn't be surprised. This doesn't mean that we now go out of our way to find ways to get the world to hate us. We faithfully live our confession, our faith, trusting God will see us through this life to the next.
Well, continuing speaking to the disciples, uh, he says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have not gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And I think that's amazing. So, in the world, and again, this is a vague and ambiguous statement, uh, Jesus gets a lot of respect. He's a good moral teacher. He's a good religious leader. But is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah, the Redeemer? Is he the one and only way to salvation? Well, of course, those last statements, the world would say no. There's lots of ways to your personal heaven or your personal higher power, whatever. Nonetheless, Jesus here in this text points out who he is. He is the one hated by the world. And we see this. He is crucified because he preached forgiveness, because he dared to claim that he is the Son of God, who has come to bring forgiveness, to establish the kingdom of heaven here, to bring those who have fallen into sin and death into forgiveness and life. And what did the world do? What did we do as sinners? Uh, St. Peter is very clear about this. The one you crucified, the one you killed, Jesus died for our sake, for the world's sake. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that no one would be condemned. That is the will of God, that everyone be saved, that the preaching, the promise goes to the hearts and ears of everyone so that they would know salvation, that they would know that they too have life. The world cannot give this to you. Yes, the world can make you feel good. Yes, the world can make you have peace. But all of that will pass away just as the world will pass away. But the Word of God is eternal. And the Word of God spoken to you is what Christ has given to you. If He says you are forgiven, then you are. In fact, Jesus continues, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the rooftops. And I love this imagery. The whole idea, and I, I think of um, Elijah, who is running away because he thinks he is going to be killed, and he thinks he's the only prophet, and God reveals himself, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, not in the mighty winds, but the whisper and the power and might of God comes in a whisper. And what Jesus whispers to you, you are saved. You are forgiven. You are loved. This is what you shout from the rooftops. This is what you tell your neighbor. This is what you tell your friends. This is what you tell your family. This is what you tell anyone and everyone. Because this is your life in Christ. 
And you have nothing to fear for your eternity. Your forever has been fulfilled, completed, and already given to you. And so, really, what do we have to fear? And please know, this is such an easy, sta- easier said than done statement, because Jesus goes on, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And Jesus, this is like a mic drop moment, because Jesus lays down his godliness, his might, his majesty, his power. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself being the judge. Don't fear those who can just kill you. Fear the one who rules over body and soul. Fear the one who knows eternity. And that's God. And frankly, that is a huge and scary statement. And I want to be clear, this isn't the, the wagging of the finger and the threat, the, the stick and the carrot kind of thing. This isn't, you better believe or Jesus is going to come and get you. This is the promise of unbelief is hell. The death of body and soul forever. Repent and believe the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, is at hand. This cannot be overstated. This cannot be preached enough. Turn away from your sinful thoughts, your sinful action, your worldly ways, the feeding of your passions, whatever you want to say, and turn to Christ. Turn to the loving God where he forgives makes new, restores, and keeps you alive. This is why the disciples are being sent out to Israel. And this is why we, to this day, continue to preach, continue to administer baptism, administer the Lord's Supper. This is why pastors make visits. This is why we have Bible class. This is why we even here at Holy Cross have a school so that people will hear of the work of Jesus, the extension, the continuation of Jesus' work of bringing his message of love, his message of life, his message of forgiveness, his message of righteousness, his message of the kingdom of God being fulfilled, being brought to you. This is the mission of the church. I once had a pastor I love this phrase he said often, our job as the church, as Christians, is to keep heaven as full as possible and hell as empty as possible. And what greater work is there than to bring people to the faithful, saving faith of knowing Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ for them. This is what we get to do, and it is exciting and scary work because, well, you're dealing with the things of eternity. Yes, your actions, your thoughts, your words, the things that you believe in, confess, whether that be God, whether that be the political ideologies of the day, they have eternal implications, Know what you are doing and know whose you are.
For we were born children of destruction. We were born sinful and dead. And only in Christ, only in God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, are we made alive, are we made to be children of light and to bask in His glory and His work. This is a tall order, and this is something that we will struggle with on this side of heaven until the fullness of the new heaven and the new earth are given to us in life everlasting. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.